Here's one thing. If you're new to Grace Point, you're not going to like us if you don't like the nations, all right? Because there's two things about us that I can tell you. We're going to love Jesus, okay? That's a good one, okay? Check that one off. But we're also going to love what Jesus loves. And if Jesus says he loves the world, then we're going to love the world. If it, if it means going to the world and going to the nations, then we're going to go there. Whatever that means to love them, we're going to love them. And I think some of the most basic ways we can love people is giving them a cup of clean water, uh, helping somebody who's, who's, who's caught up in trafficking get free from trafficking, find a new lifestyle, what it means to, to walk with Jesus and so forth. And as some of y'all know that I was on the team uh, that went to Mozambique and we did something I've never done before. We landed in the capital city and then we just dispersed. We broke the team up into three different teams. We went all across the northern part of, of Mozambique, almost in a triangle kind of form. And we went to three different areas, three different uh, cultures, three different uh, languages, three different areas uh, of the country, all in this area. Area, all in these areas that we're going, we are either in process right now, completed wells, or are drilling wells, or will drill wells in the coming months. What's the whole well thing? Again, we're just trying to show Jesus' love in a very practical way. And what more practical can you get than clean, safe, drinking water? And so what we did this past Christmas, again, if you're new with us, we, we actually gave a, a, a good sum of our Christmas offering. A third of it went to Mozambique and to help drill wells uh, among there. About $4,000 to drill a well. It's the most incredibly, most efficient way, well, uh, that I've ever seen drilled and safe and clean uh, in the process. In fact, this is one of the wells that's being drilled right uh, on site when we were there uh, this past week. They just get in and they hand bore a hole in the ground and then they put casing down and they put uh, uh, a well on top. They, they, they close it over and you can literally take your hands, hopefully your hands are clean because that will muddy the water up, uh, then you can drink that water. In fact, we went into uh, one of the wells, one, one of the, uh, the villages, Namankura, and we went to one of the places where the very first well that our church was a part of um, that we, we, were, we were part of putting it in the ground, paying for the, uh, the whole process, the labor, the, ever, the installation. And we got to see that well. And when we got there, this is what we saw. We saw all these kids around the well. They were pumping water. And they will pump water all day long from this place. And they will have clean water all day long, all year long because of this well. And that's, a, that's an incredibly cool thing because when we were there, they shame, they were embarrassed, but they took us to the place that they had been getting water, okay? And this is what it looked like. It was a hole in the ground where nothing but runoff, nothing but sun and bacteria could form in the water. You could scoop that water up and look at it and could not read a paper through, uh, read the newspaper on the other side if you wanted to. It was so gray, muddy, murky kind of water. Yet they were sitting there drinking that water just one month prior to this well going in. That's an incredible thing, but it doesn't end there. Because I'll promise you this, us suburban Americans can't drill these wells or dig these wells, all right? We're just too soft in the middle and too soft in a lot of other places, all right, to, to be able to do what these nationals are doing in an incredible fashion. So we're not going to drill the wells but, and to give them water. We're going to give them living water. And that is the beautiful thing because when we were in this village, Namankura, we were actually there and spontaneously we just shared the gospel story. And just spontaneously, eight people in this village come to know Christ. 
And it's a beautiful thing because I was, I was totally not expecting it. But these people were so excited to see the people who put the well into their village that they wanted to hear about this Jesus that would motivate them to give water. And they gave themselves to following Jesus. And I think that's the greatest story uh, of it all. So let's give the Lord a hand for eight new people. I don't know their names. I can't remember their faces, but Jesus knows them as well as he knows you, and he loves them as much as he loves you and I, and that's the beauty of it, is he sent us to be a part of that process. Uh, going. And that's just one story of the many stories of what God did and is doing. And he, these trips bring us perspective, because we take for advan- and we take advantage of the fact that we're going to have lots of clean water when we get home. And we take advantage that we can just dump it out, pour it out, spit it out, or do whatever with it. We take it for granted. We take a lot of things for granted. We take this Bible for granted. We take our churches for granted. We take our faiths for granted. And, you know, I, I take my arm for granted until I have to have surgery on it. And I appreciate you all praying through that. I kind of have a T-Rex arm kind of thing going right now. So if you all don't know that, you know, so I, I, I'm limited there. But uh, uh, the, the, the point is, is that you all prayed for me. So I take even my arm now with great appreciation with the simplest things of life. Uh, we take Jesus for granted. We got Jesus in so many forms and fashions. We got the Jesus that we like, and you got the Jesus that you like. And, but, I, but the Jesus that I like is I like the Savior Jesus. Uh, the Savior Jesus, but not the Lord Jesus. Because the Savior Jesus takes away my sins, but the Lord Jesus is the reality is He's not only Savior, but He's also Lord. And He also causes us, calls us to follow Him. But the thing is, is that we like the Savior Jesus, or we like the miracle Jesus, the Jesus who will heal us when we're sick, give us a job whenever we, we need a job. But we don't necessarily like the repentance Jesus, the Jesus who says you can't do that and you shouldn't do that. You're going to hurt yourself. You need to change your ways. You need to follow me. You need to repent and do the works of righteousness. See, that's the real biblical Jesus. We like the inspiring teacher rabbi Jesus, the Jesus who will inspire us to keep going, but we don't necessarily like the Jesus who says, hey, listen, you're going to have to deny yourself and take up your cross and follow me. See, we make Jesus in our own image rather than allowing Jesus to make us in his own image. And that's the American way. That's the way we've been living. We have taken Jesus for granted to the point that we make him in our image rather than us being made in his image. And that is anathema. That is heresy. That's a lie. And we cannot believe that. See, we like the Talladega Nights Jesus, if you've seen that movie. Not that I recommend you see that movie, especially unless it's in an edited form. You know, the Ricky Bobby Jesus, who he likes little baby Jesus, tiny Jesus with golden fleece uh, diapers and tiny fat ball uh, up ha- fist. That's the kind of Jesus that some people like. Just keep him baby Jesus. Just keep him quiet baby Jesus. See, God is cool today. Jesus is not. 
See, Jesus actually gives us a manifestation of God, gives us a physical form of God, gives us literal teachings from God, gives us correction in our life from God. And we don't like that specificity from God. What we want is ambiguity. We want freedom. We want our, uh, we want our autonomy. We like to do it our way. And we don't want to have to answer to anybody. But the real Jesus of Scripture, the one that we need to align our lives after, the one that we need to look to, the one that we need to set our true north off of is the Jesus of Scripture. We need to read Jesus today. And the read Jesus that we're going to talk about today is the realigning Jesus, the one who gives us a true north, the one who gives us direction for our life. And that's why I say he's not cool. Because we like the Jesus, little meek and mild. This is what one pollster from the UK said in his researches, he says, millennials prefer this generalized picture of God rather than the interventionist God, somebody who intervenes in our life, someone who interrupts our life, someone who injects and inserts himself in our life. And they prefer God to Jesus. See, this ambiguous talk of God is okay, but when you start specifying that God is Jesus and Jesus is God, then you're getting too specific. Let's just keep it as a generic God. He stands behind them and allows them to get on with their own lives rather than Jesus who comes in and interferes with everything. Let me ask you a question. When's the last time that Jesus interfered with your life? Interfered with your plans, interfered with your marriage, interfered with your attitude, interfered with you. Because if he's not interfering with you, then I don't know that you have the real biblical model of Jesus. I think we have more of the day and time, the way, the, the day in which we live and see what happens. If we start getting off of the real Jesus, if we start deviating just ever, ever a little bit, just one degree off of Jesus, it makes a difference. It compounds over time. One degree off can set you on a course if you're flying a plane or driving a car to be in a different city, a different town, a different state, and even a different country. You can't just deviate one degree and be okay at the course of 60, 70 years of your life. Pilots tell us something like this about the degrees that if we get off for every degree you fly off course, you will miss your target by 92 feet for every mile that you fly. Think about that. Just one degree. For every mile that you fly, you will be 92 feet off course. You compound that over time, you're not in God's will. You're having to create you're having to create your God to fit your will. That's danger. And you can call him Jesus or you can call him whatever you will, but we need a true north. Take your Bibles and find the book of Hebrews. Hebrews is a, uh, actually many people believe it's uh, a first century message that was delivered to the early church. 
We, we shared an entire series through the book of Hebrews, so I won't uh, try to do that today. But it's one message, and really what they believe, that if you look at the first 11 chapters of Hebrews, it's actually the heart and soul of the message. That chapter 13 is kind of uh, an addendum that came on maybe later, still inspired and all that, but part of it's kind of wrapping things up and putting a final bow on the book of Hebrews. But 12, chapter 12 is the conclusion it's the, it's the response. It's the, here's what you do because of everything that you've heard up until now. It's the, if you're a Baptist, it's the invitation call at the end of the message. It's what he's calling us to when he says at the end, therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses in verse one, surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, Who are these witnesses? Well, you have to go back to chapter 11 and you read chapter 11 and you find where he talks about these uh, about 17 or 18 different people by name, some unnamed, and he calls them out and he says, this, these people, now these people that that they're all over the gamut. There's men, there's women, there's younger, there's older, there's some who died early, there's some who never are even named and they die at persecution. There are some who, it was just an incredible list of names. And then what he does in chapter 12, again, he's tying chapter 12 together when he says, with chapter 11, when he says, therefore, pointing back to chapter 11, he says, because we have so great a cloud of witnesses, because we're surrounded by all these great saints of old, now what are we to do? And then what he does is he kind of gives us the what for, where to, what, what do you do from here? He says, let us. He says, let us lay aside every weight and sin that, that, that clings so closely. Let us, he gives us kind of this, this is the appeal that we're to do. Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. And by the way, if you don't know where to run, you don't just run anywhere. You, you set your sights on something that's solid and tan, something that's solid and real. And that is Jesus looking to Jesus, fixing your eyes on Jesus, one translation says, the founder and the perfecter of our faith faith who for the joy set before him endured the cross despising the shame he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God and what I want to talk about and share for a few moments together today is if Jesus is my true north if Jesus is the one I'm supposed to be lining my life off of and looking at and running my life towards how do I do that how do I allow Jesus to realign me. We call it the re-Jesus series. It's not reinvent Jesus. It's not remake Jesus in our own image. It is to reclaim Jesus. It is to revisit Jesus. It's to realign our lives with Jesus today. So let's talk about three ways that we can realign our lives according to Jesus and his, him being our true north. And one of those very quickly, he says, is to release the extra weight that holds you back. Now, we probably all entered into the new year with jumping on a scale somewhere, either in front of somebody else's, a doctor's office or something like that, some nutritionist or at the gym. And we all set for ourselves this ambition, this desire that we might lose a few pounds. Some of us get into a situation financially where we might wish we could lose a few dollars of debt. Some of us are in a relationship where we wish we could kind of lose a relationship, a person in our life. 
Our kids grow up and leave the house, and we kind of lose them off of payroll. And we go, ah, hallelujah on that one. But uh, we want to lose some things along the way. There's, it's good to lose some things. We don't need to hoard it all and keep it all. And we live in this consumer-consumeristic where we consume to consume to consume more. We are in this crazy world of consuming. But one of the things, we do sometimes consume things that we should let go. And that's what he's calling us to here. Lay aside every weight of sin. He's very specific, and I want to be as specific as he is. But as I have been in my own personal walk with God, just keep going back to Matthew chapter 11. Now, keep going back to Matthew chapter 11. God doesn't doesn't let me get away from Matthew chapter 11. I can tell one day it's going to be a message, okay? He keeps working it on me. Even in my recent uh, trip with Lori, we went and spent a few extra days in, in Cape Town, South Africa. In fact, we just got off the plane yesterday. So if I sleepwalk off this stage, please forgive me. Wake me up or I'll wake up when I hit the bottom. But uh, the, uh, the thing is, this passage came up again the very first day. And this is what it says. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. The whole idea of carrying weight around and carrying pain around and carrying shame around and carrying gross sins around, things that we carry around and we, we put and tuck away because we don't want anybody to see them. We don't want to get caught with them. We, they're, they're on a screen on our, on our devices. or they're, they're, it's, it's something that we do under the table that we don't want to get caught. We carry that with us or it's somebody we meet when we're out of town and we do things with that we shouldn't be doing with them. Uh, you know, we, it's, it's, uh, it's relationships, it's things, it's food, it's, it's possessions, it's a world that we take on and these things weight us down. And Jesus is saying, listen, I got something better, but you're going to have to come to me. You're going to have to align yourself with me. You can't keep doing it your way. So uh, let us make a couple of notes today that we need to be aware of the excessive weight. Lay aside every weight, every sin that we are carrying. And, and here's what some of these weights are. This excessive weight can be unconfessed, unrepented of sin. And listen, I don't care who you are. I don't care how much money you make. I don't care where you stand in society. Uh, there's none of us are free from the accountability of our lives. None of us get a free pass around. None of us can buy ourselves out. If anybody's an example of this, is King David, right? Here's a man who's the king of the greatest nation in the land who could do anything, call the shots. It's a monarchy. It's not a democracy. He didn't have to answer the Supreme Court. He didn't have to answer the Congress or Parliament. He was the final and decision in the land. And what does he do when he's there on that balcony looking off when he should have been at war doing what kings did at that time is he was staring over the balcony into somebody else's courtyard, into somebody else's bathtub and seeing Bathsheba. And he calls Bathsheba to himself. And again, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants, right? He's not accountable. He can get by with it. He can maneuver. He can buy himself out of it. He has access to the entire treasury. And what happens is he gets her pregnant. 
So what does he do? He's the king. He's got the might. He's got the power. He brings Uriah home. He makes sure Uriah um, sleeps with her. Uriah doesn't sleep with her, okay? So I'm going to put him on the front of the line. I'm going to back the troops off. I'm going to make sure Uriah's dead. So now he's not only committed adultery, he's lied. He's now murdered. So what he's doing now to cover up his sins is he's just compounding them. And so can you imagine what David's going under the weight that he's carrying and every time he tries to turn the corner to fix the problem himself, he actually gets more weight on his shoulders. No, not David. Yes, David, Psalm 32, verse 3 and 4. It's one of his confession psalms. He says this, when I kept silent. Basically, when I didn't confess and I didn't repent and I didn't get rid of it, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away. Through my groaning all day long. For day and night your hand was heavy upon me. My strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. The weight of your hand, God, was heavy upon me. The weight of that sin was heavy upon me. Listen, you say, oh, God shouldn't do that. God's a loving God. God's an embracing God. That's right. He is all of that. He shouldn't put that heavy hand upon us. Listen, it's the weight of the sin that's on us. It's the shame that's on us. It's the unconfessed element that's on us that we are not going to find freedom. And it wasn't until Nathan steps into his life and calls him out. Another brother, a one another brother, steps into his life and says, Listen, brother, you're going to have to get right. You're going to have to get right. Now, I'm summarizing it's a whole message unto itself. And this is why we exist. Listen, we exist as a church to, to promote transformative community with one another. We breathe as a church. You want to know why we exist? Go into the Walmart, go into your vendor offices. Grace Point exists because they want to promote. We can't make it happen. We can only promote it. We can only encourage it. We can only try to establish it. We can only create environments for it. But we can promote transformative communities where our lives change, your lives change, my lives change, we're changed together and with one another. See, David even needed a one another brother in his life to help him get rid of the sin in his life. But fear and anxiety is another one. You know, we got this weighted sin that we carry, but then also we have anxiety. Now, well, anxiety is troubles of life, and that's not something that you choose. No, see, reality is every one of us has trouble. What are we going to do when we face that trouble? That's the intersection that you're at. And many people choose... Fear and worry, and what are you going to do? And with it, and you know, we talked a few months ago. In fact, if you first message in the new year that I that I shared is there's like several options. Well, you can fight it out, and you can just leave shrapnel and leave damage, and just fight through the the, the anxiety of it. You can flight, you can run from it, and or you can you can freeze up and just like get all balled up and not do anything, and that's not healthy. Or you can follow. You have several options. Look up there at that list. What do you do when you're dealing with anxiety and fear? Does it freeze you from moving forward? Do you fight your way and leave shrapnel everywhere? Do you, do you run from it, run to another relationship, run to another job, run to another whatever? And really what you should do is you should follow God through that. Now here's what I want you to do. Take out your phones. I want you to answer what is it that you do as your default mechanism your default. This is what kind of we have going from the first service. Look at that. What do you do? 
What you're going to do is you're going to text a number to, you're going to text GPCNWA to this number, 22333. You're going to enroll into uh, this survey, okay? That allows you, they'll send you back in a text immediately. Then you're going to put, A, I fight it out. B, I flight, I run. I know that's a tendency inside of me. Or I freeze. I just don't do anything. I don't know what to do. I don't know where to go. I don't know where to turn. Or maybe it's like, I've actually, Mike, I've done pretty well with this. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not perfect, I'm not perfect, but I'm saying that I'm following God pretty good right now through the anxieties of my life. Once you respond, okay, and we'll kind of, uh, you can see the responses are already coming in. And so we'll kind of follow that along. And I want you to notice how we deal with anxiety. How do we deal with it? Because here's the reality, worry, anxiety. Worry comes from the Anglo-Saxon word, which means to strangle. Many times we're just, we're just cut off from life. We're cut off from living. So beware. Beware in, of, the, of the excess weight. And that excess weight is sin. That excess weight is anxiety that we carry with us. Beware of excessive entanglements. This is how we get woven into our society. Sin that clings itself, sin that easily ensnares us, uh, uh, as the King James Version puts this verse. We need to be aware of that. Uh, Paul was telling young Timothy, he said, every soldier in active service, uh, they need to, uh, no soldier in active service entangles himself. I was very, very intrigued by that when I first read that back as a freshman in high school, in college, excuse me. I just dove into that word entangles. And it literally means to weave thread together to where you can no longer distinguish one thread from another. What happens in this world is we get woven into the fabric of our society. And the problem is, is we don't look any different than the other Joe in our business, than the other neighbors down our street. We don't talk different, live different, think different. We don't marry different. We don't live married different. We don't parent different. We are just like everyone else. And that isn't following Jesus. There needs to be a marked difference in us. Not better, but hopefully that we are walking well with him and there's a fullness in us. And you see, here's the problem is it's a lot easier to be woven into the fabric of our society. That's easy. So here's the reality. We ourselves may be the greatest hindrance, our greatest hindrance to living in the fullness of Christ. We ourselves may be the greatest hindrance to us living in the fullness of Christ because we're just like the world. If we are going to be different, live different in the fullness of him, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which clings so closely. But there's another let us that he said, if you remember. And this is where I want to say we need to renew our commitment to God's plan. Once we untangle ourselves from the fabric of this world, once we untangle ourselves from culture, once we get, let, 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 get free from the weight of sin that weights us down in life, listen, once we're free, now I can recommit. 
Okay, God, I've tried it my plan. I've tried my way. I've tried my, my way of doing things. God, I'm, it's not working. I want to get on your plan. I want to do it your way. And I love it. I just want to break it down. He says, let us run, okay? Now, those of you who don't know what running is, it's not fun, all right? I'll just say that. In fact, how many of y'all ran a half marathon yesterday in Bentonville? There's a few of you. Everyone else is soaking in Epsom salt right now. Um, but uh, kudos to you, man. I'm one and done, all right? I did one, and I got a T-shirt, and I walked away. But um, the running thing, okay? It, it, it requires energy. It, burn, it creates sweat. It does this cardiovascular thing inside of us that opens up. It releases our endorphins. It, it's actually a good thing. But we are called to run. But listen to what he said. He says, run with endurance. This is not a Sunday sprint. You run on Sunday, but then you walk on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. Or you waltz with Jesus. Or you linger with Jesus. You continue to run the race with endurance. There's an endurance factor inside of you. So when the pressure comes, when the stressors come, when the anxiety slips in, whenever everything doesn't go your way, the marked difference in you is that you don't respond like the world. You're different. You're running with endurance, the race that is set before you. Great book I read a number of years ago. It was by Daniel Pink called Drive. He talks about a study that was done. About 1,200 students every year are selected out of about 15,000 applicants to go to the West Point Military Academy. And, you know, it's very honorable to be able to be selected. It's very honorable to be able to be accepted. It's very honorable to make it and to graduate from it and to be a part of the Distinguishing Long Gray Line. We have a few graduates in our own church. I commend you. Our son graduated last May. And uh, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, a level of that commitment that's unlike any other university or institution that I've ever seen or experienced or been around. Well, there's a distinguishing element about these cadets that graduate. In this study that was done, over 1,200 young soldiers that came out, it was done by two West Point graduates, one University of Pennsylvania graduate and a University of Michigan graduate, and they wanted to understand what made these particular soldiers, these particular cadets, so unique and so uh, amazing in, in their tenacity and their ability to lead soldiers in battle and lead our country and become politicians in the good way statesmen, hopefully. And what they, they found was it wasn't their academic excellence, which it's incredible the level of academics required to go there. It wasn't their physical talents and strengths and abilities, though there are, there's great physical fitness requirements to even be a student there. But it was what they narrowed it down to was one word, the word grit. Do you have the grit. The grit to stay in there when it's no fun. The grit to go through beast training. The grit to learn to be a soldier and to lead as a soldier and to be a leader. Do you have the grit? And then they had to define what grit was. It was the perseverance and the passion for a long-term goal. As most 18-year-olds, sorry 18-year-olds, most 18-year-olds don't graduate with a lot of grit and a lot of 
perseverance and passion for long-term goals. But that was what made the great soldiers and leaders. There's a lot of 18-year-old Christians out there. Again, sorry, 18-year-old Christian, 18-year-olds today. Not trying to pick on you. I was 18 a long time ago, but I was there once. The point is this, is do you have the grit in your life? Do you have the grit in your faith? Do you have the perseverance that you can run the race with endurance? Are you going to quit and flake on God whenever things don't line up the way you thought they should or would? But it's not just running, it's not just endurance, but notice this. He says, are you willing to run the race with endurance that is set before us? That is set before us. God actually has a plan. And see, again, remember, this is the recommitment to God's plan for my life and that that I'm actually going to live out something that God is going to, listen, lay before me. It may not be much. I may not see much of it. I may not see it until it gets to me. It may round the corner and blindside me. But am I going to have the grit and the endurance to keep, keep running and keep moving on what God lays before me? We all like Jeremiah 29, 11, where it talks about, the I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you, plans for hope, but you've got to realize it's going to mean you're going to have to run with endurance to get there. There's going to have to be a level of, of grit inside of you. There's going to have to be willing to say, okay, God, this is your plan, and I don't know all your plan, but I'm willing to go with whatever you have set before me. Whatever you got in front of me, God, I'm willing to take. I'm willing to go with. One of the weights that I have in my life is I'm a control freak. I have five-year plans for my five-year plan. Literally on our vacation that we just had in Cape Town, Lori and I, is I was talking about what I'd like to do when I'm 65. And she says, you're killing me. Just be 48 and enjoy it. You know, sometimes we kind of get so far down the road that we're not living in the now. And all that God is going to give us from time to time is the road that is set before us. And will I run on that road, however small and tiny and narrow, but will I be willing to run and trust Him with the rest? See, you and I are both on a need-to-know basis. With God. When we need to know, He'll let us know. Until then, just keep running in that direction that you've been running. Number three, and I'm finished, is to, rel- to realign your focus on God. Once you've got rid of the excess weight, once you've got rid of the sin, unconfessed, unrepentant, once you've got rid of the worry, the anxiety, and the fears, and you're now following, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I don't know where I'm going. I'm going to trust you with the road that you set before me. I'm going to run with endurance the race that you, I'm going to do this. Now, where am I going? God, I'm going to keep my eyes fixed on you. I'm going to look to Jesus. I'm going to set my gaze on him. I'm I'm not going to do it my own way. I'm I'm going to step back from my sin, but I'm going to step up the pace in my life towards you, God, and I'm going to realign my focus on you, Christ, on the Christ. You should ask, why? 
Why? Why should I trust this unseen God, Jesus, that we speak of? Why should I trust this unknown? Why should I trust the God who only gives me a little bit at a time? He only gives me, a, you know, a, maybe a day at a time or an hour at a time or a few minutes at a time. And maybe I don't even have that. I just have to follow the Spirit's leading in me as I make the decision. Read Luke twelve twelve. Jot it in the margin of your Bible because sometimes He only gives you the words that you need to say at the hour that you need them. Sometimes God doesn't operate on a day. Sometimes he operates on the hour. And sometimes it's the second. But are you going to be able to go with that kind of God? Here's three reasons why, and I'm finished. One is that Jesus is the author. Okay, that's what one translation says. If you, in fact, I want us to read verse 2 together out loud. Okay, it says, looking to Jesus, read it with me, the founder, one translation says the author, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. The number one reason I should be willing to say, okay, God, I am not in control any longer. I'm realigning to you is because Jesus is the author. He's the pioneer. He is the founder of this whole thing called life. You know, I know it may shock you, but you're not the author of the story and you're not the lead character in the story. And I know in this world where we want to be the lead character, we're not even the supporting characters at times. We're like the extras on the back, back of the lot, okay? God sometimes just calls us out every now and then. This is actually His story. We just get to live in it and be a part of it. If you go to Hebrews chapter 1, you start at the beginning of chapter 1, you'll find where He spoke this world into existence. It's sustained by His voice. And this is His story. I just get to be a part of it. And so why not go with the author? Why not go with the pioneer? Why not go with the founder, the one who started this whole thing? Number two, Jesus is the finisher. You're staying in step with his plan. Are you staying in step with his plan? Notice it says that he's the perfecter. He is the finisher of the faith. Remember I told you I'm the long-term planner, planner kind of guy? Um... Here's one thing I've learned about God's will. I don't get to see the whole thing. He didn't give it to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12, the founder of the greatest religion, uh, the greatest faith, three largest faith in the nation, in the world, and the faith of our, that, that, that I follow in, Jude, in, in Christianity. It, it, it goes back to him. And God said, listen to this. I'm only going to give you, I'm going to send you to a land that I will show you. You're not going to get the whole picture. I'm not going to get the whole picture. I'm going to get to follow him. But here's one thing I learned, and this is just probably a month old, fresh bread out of the oven for me. It may not be fresh for you, but it's new for me. I realize this, that if I will end every day in the center of his will, I will start every day at the front of his will. 
If I will make sure that I am just, I don't have to worry about five years from now, five months from now, five days from now. I just need to worry about today. And if I will do life well today, then I will start life well tomorrow. And if I live that, then I'll find myself in the center of His will every day of my life. It's like my life is like a chain link. It just keeps adding on. And the thing is, what do we say? The chain is only as strong as it's. So every day is a chain. It's a link in my chain. It's a link in the chain of my life. And listen, I'm strong, but all it takes is one bad link and the whole thing comes apart. So listen, I want to come back to the finisher of my faith. He started this whole thing. He's finishing this whole thing. I want to stay with him. Number three is Jesus is the redeemer. Do you know him as the one who completes you, who makes you whole? Because when you go back to Hebrews chapter 12, uh, the chapter here, in chapter 12, verse 2, he says, looking to Jesus, the founder, the perfecter of the faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. I, we take for, for granted this. Easter is, is, is two weeks away, and we're going to have three gatherings. It's going to be at 8 a.m. and at 9.30 and at 11, and we're going to have a lot of people here. People are going to show up for that day that they won't show up for any other day, and we're okay with that. But, man, I'm hoping that God just gets a hold of them, and they get to understand that Jesus isn't a one-day-a-year, one-time-a-year, one few days. Uh, no, He's an every day, every moment of every day, God. He's the author. He's the perfecter of my faith who went to the cross for me that he might complete me and bring me back. See, God of the universe who made it all, spoke it all into his existence, he could have as easily looked at mankind and said, you're a hot mess. And he could have just said, delete. He could have. He spoke the world into existence. He could have said, delete. You remember the, uh, maybe you still have a PC, you know, you have to turn it on by hitting Control, Alt, Delete three or four times a day, reboot it. Uh, sorry, I'm a Mac guy. You know, we don't have to do that. But, uh, you know, Control, Alt, Delete. You had to, I always had the spinning thing and I always got stuck. It froze up, messed up. Control, Alt, Delete. What if God looked at us and says, well, okay, they're in control. I'm going to have an alternative plan. I'm going to delete. He didn't. He said, I'm going to send my son. I'm going to send my one and only son. And he's going to go to the cross. And he's going to suffer severely. But I'm going to do it because I love him. I love him. I love him. And I want him for all eternity. Listen, if that alone doesn't give you reason enough to follow Jesus, I don't know what will. Do you know him? Do you follow him? Are you aligned with him? Would you bow your heads with me? If you've never given yourself to following Jesus, just right where you're at right now, just pray something like this to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, I 
want to follow you. Now, I want to give myself to you completely, fully, forever and ever. Amen, Jesus. I need you in my life. Just tell him that. Just tell him, I need you, Jesus. In fact, I want to pray for you. And I want to tell you of an opportunity that's happening next week. Father God, you know the people in this room. You know what needs to happen, and you know what needs to work in them. And Father, I pray right now that you just touch them in an incredible way, and those who need to follow you will follow you, and they'll get off. They'll let go of the things of this world. They'll untangle themselves, unravel themselves from things of this world, and they will say yes to you, Jesus, and they will run a race with endurance. And Lord, whatever you give them, if you give them a day at a time, if you give them a minute at a time, I pray that they'll just say yes to you each and every minute of their life. And they will set their gaze, their focus on you from this day forth and forevermore. Amen. Now, here's what I want to say. If you today have given yourself or are giving yourself to following Jesus, then that a boy. That a boy. Way to go. Now, next week, we're going to have something, what we call a baptism service. It's going to be part of our gathering, and we're going to baptize a number of people, some children, some adults, some couples, some families. It's going to be a great time together. But here's what some people do is they mix it up. They say, you know what? My kid needs to be baptized. I need to sign him up. I need to be baptized. You know, I've never done that. I need to do that. Probably need to do it before I die. So I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to do it. Stop it. It's not doing that. It's doing the first part of everything I've been talking about. It's... It's letting go, untangling, unraveling from this world. It's committing yourself to run the race with endurance, setting your focus on Jesus and realizing that it was God and God alone. It was Jesus who makes us complete and you trusting him. And then, oh, by the way, after that, we celebrate it through baptism. Have you given yourself to Jesus Maybe you need to be baptized as a statement of that faith. I hope you will. But let's stand together right now because I want us to sing a declaration of what we believe and what we are going to do about following Jesus. And if you need to pray with someone, we're going to have pastors around. You can come pray with them. You can, you can, you can share with them. But listen, it's not about us. It's about you having a relationship with him. Let's sing this out right now.